I'm glad to be here with you as today we're pressing pause on our uh, series called The Essentials. We'll pick that up in a couple of weeks. Uh, today, we're going to continue a conversation that our church has been having for a, uh, well, quite a while. Long before I was even born, and I am very proud of our church for that. You see, it's common knowledge, at least here in Conway, that doc Dr. Lovell and our church has stood for equality of, of races long before most churches and probably most people in the South were. We found an article uh, that was written a few years ago that was talking about when Conway was desegregating schools and they were honoring a particular person. And it says that there was, there was widespread comments in Conway that blood would flow in the streets if a black student ever went to Conway's white school. Preston McNever Floyd was one of those students and he stated in this interview, he said there were people in the white community who worked across barriers to alleviate the fears of the community at high personal cost. Then mentioning Dr., excuse me, George Lovell, pastor of First Baptist Church and a few others. It went on to say that Lovell and Barnwell had threats made on their lives, he recalls. You see, our church has a long history of standing up for the rights of others. We've stood for the rights of races. We've stood for the rights of standing up for women and believing that women and men are both gifted for leadership in the local church. Our church has used their platform. I mean, the history of our church has used its platform to speak to these issues and influence the community on biblical human equality issues. And I'm proud of that. Because that's really rare, especially in a Baptist church, that a church can point back to its histories and say, we've been talking about this for a long time. You see, our church has stood way before it was mainstream, and it came with criticism. In fact, it, it cost the church something. In fact, other churches, other brothers and sisters in Christ, and people would call our church, quote-unquote, and it's still said today, sadly, our church was a liberal church. But it didn't matter what other people thought. Our church still stood for the rights of other people. And now others are just now figuring out that perhaps we should all be speaking about the rights of all human beings. You see, human rights issues isn't about being liberal or conservative. Human rights issues are about the gospel. The gospel demands the church and the people of Christ to stand up for injustices. Because it's quite clear that loving God and loving others is what he has called us to do. So today, we're not going to let our community down, and we're going to continue the conversation that this church has been having for a long time. And just to let you know today, you may feel uncomfortable. As you already know, I'm completely okay with you being uncomfortable. I will probably offend you, and I'm, I'm okay with that too, but you don't have to email me, email me about it. You're more than welcome to email Scott with all of your concerns. He's glad to to take those. But in all seriousness, my goal is simply to help us start having a conversation. And I clearly believe it's okay for us to be uncomfortable because as Christians, we have a Savior that was willing to be completely uncomfortable for you and I. So it's okay for us to be uncomfortable so we can have a conversation. I need you to remember something because it's very important for our conversation today. I'm coming to you as a pastor and I love you. I'm not coming to you as a politician who's polling for a vote. I'm not coming 
as a social media influencer trying to get more likes on my page. I'm not, I'm not coming to you as anything like that. I have nothing to gain. I just simply come to you as a pastor who is trying to help us all navigate these issues and respond biblically. Because as you know, on May 25th, 2020, Memorial Day, where many of us were cooking out with our friends, some of us were at the beach, George Floyd was murdered. He was arrested for using a counterfeit $20 bill, was held on the ground by an officer kneeling on his neck to pin him down, where he repeatedly said, I can't breathe. He repeatedly cried out for his mama and repeatedly cried out, please. And all of this happened on video. He was down for almost eight minutes and, excuse me, he was held down for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And for almost three minutes of this, he was unresponsive. What happened to Floyd is without a doubt wrong. All four officers were fired the next day, and at least one of them has been charged with murder. And it seems that at all levels, from all sides, people are condemning the actions of the officers. But that event, along with, of course, others, but that particular ignited a demonstrations. Demonstrations and protests against racism and police brutality towards people of color in over 100 cities and at least 24 states had to call in the National Guard and many cities imposed curfews. Many of these protests have gotten out of control and as of Thursday, I haven't looked up the current stats, but as of Thursday, over 11,000 people have been arrested because of this and 12 more deaths occurred. There has been protest violence towards the police many of them simply trying to just protect their community. Stores have been vandalized and looted, cars set on fire, tear gas thrown, and buildings have been burnt down. But you know this already, don't you? But for me, the most shocking part of all of this was how shocked everybody was about the violence and how shocked people were when the looted started taking place. See, I'll be honest, when I first saw it all happening and get out of control, I just shook my head, nodded, and I said, yep, I get it. And please hear me clearly, I'm not saying the violence is okay. I'm not saying hurting people are justified. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is I wasn't surprised at all when the violence broke out. I wasn't surprised when mobs of people were furious. I wasn't surprised when people started to be destructive. And as it progressed... As it got worse, I started hearing people arguing about the riots. They can't believe what's happening or how the riots, this isn't going to make a difference or violence doesn't solve anything and on and on. And perhaps you've said it and I get it. And all I could do was shake my head and say, we're doing it again. You see, in 2016, Colin Kaepernick, as you know, took a stand. Well, he took a seat. He sat during the national anthem, and what you already know is he ended up kneeling all year. He said he was doing it to protest of racial injustice and police brutality, and boy, did it grab national attention. And me? I was furious at him. I was downright angry, not because he was kneeling. I knew that was his right but because he said he would not show pride in a flag for a country, and then he continued, but that's where I got stuck. I got caught up 
and the not showing pride for the flag. And maybe you did too. And you may want to not say amen at all this whole sermon. You may just want to listen because it might catch you. But I got caught up in not showing, I got caught up in him not showing pride as a, because as a veteran, that flag stands for freedom. It stands for the freedom to protest. It stands for the freedom to speak out. And I thought, well, our country sure isn't perfect, but what the flag stands for allows people to protest. And he was using his platform to talk about an issue that was near and dear to his heart. But he was disrupting my football season. And we were supposed to be good that year. I wasn't paying attention to the issue. I was caught up in what I thought was disrespectful. And quite honest, I was upset he messed up my football season. Y'all ever get upset about football? All right then, so it's not just me. And that's what everybody started focusing on. Not the issue he stood up for. We made another issue about an issue that wasn't an issue. We all started about talking about something that he wasn't talking about. And we all started having these conversations, and the commentators had the conversations. And all any of us were talking about wasn't the issue because the issue got lost on apathy. Do you know why? Because it didn't affect me. It didn't affect me. The actual issue was him standing up for racial injustice. And it wasn't the issue about the flag or about football, it was about this. And I made an issue that was an issue about me. You ever been fighting with your family member, made an issue that they brought to you, and then you brought up an issue that wasn't the issue, but then you turned it all about you, and then you start having a conversation. Next thing you know, you're fighting for four days, and you don't even have a clue what you're talking about anymore. Welcome to America in 2016. That's what happened. And I'm sorry for that. And I'm sorry to my friends for that. I'm sorry I got caught up in my own self and my own issues. And I wasn't listening to what he was speaking. I made it about me. You see, the reason I could ignore it, and perhaps the reason you ignored it, is because he was doing it peaceful. Well, he messed up my football season, I thought. But he wasn't starting riots. And as we saw, he received attention, but not on the issue. And our country was divided, not about what he was standing for. We talked about something else. So when it looked like this time that everything broke loose and that the violence and the mobs and all of this happened, I wasn't surprised because the first thing I thought as well, peacefully didn't work. We weren't paying about the issue and people were quiet when he was doing it respectfully and peacefully. People thought they could bring change on their massive platforms. Pro peaceful protests didn't work. And as you can look at our, the history of our country, it's pretty American to make people listen when they're not listening. Look at the history of our country. When we don't like something, we, we fight. That's our country. It's pretty American to do that. And so when violence broke out, I went, well, but now we're listening. And if what Kaepernick and others did wasn't right, and if what's going on now isn't right, then what is? That's why we're having this series, because all we hear is anytime anybody says anything we don't particularly like, we don't, 
we condemn everything. And so how do we handle injustice? I mean, what are we supposed to do? And as Christians, what is our part in all of this? When somebody says they're experiencing the injustice, what responsibility do we have as people of Christ? And I mean, surely we can't stand up for everything. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But as Christians, what is our responsibility when somebody is hurting, when someone's in pain, when a large segment of our population and our country is telling us this is what we're experiencing and we need your help? What should we do? Well, we know what doesn't work. Ignoring it or saying it doesn't exist. You ever experienced pain before and then somebody told you that you went for help that it, you shouldn't be experiencing and it's not real? I have. I had a toothache. Y'all ever had a toothache? Raise your hands if you had a toothache. There is nothing like a toothache, is it? When a toothache hit, it's done. I had a toothache. It's pretty bad. I would drink out of the other side of my mouth. I thought I figured out a way to deal with it. Then we found out our dental insurance was expiring, so now all of a sudden I needed immediate attention because it just started getting bad. I went to the dentist. So said, my tooth's killing me. He said, well, there's nothing there. So I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm telling you what I'm experiencing. It's hurt. He's like, it shouldn't hurt. There's nothing wrong. I'm going, no, 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 no. You're not listening. I'm telling you something is going on because I feel it. You see, when someone, when you're experiencing pain and the people you talk to about it says you shouldn't be experiencing pain or they ignore your pain, you get furious. When the dentist decided to hand me some sensitive toothpaste and said, here, this will fix your issue, I said, man, that's not my issue. That's not what's going on. And a lot of times we do this to people. We say, well, I hear what you're saying, but that's not really the issue. Let me tell you what your issue is. So rather... Rather than us dismissing the pain of our brothers and sisters in Christ, rather than talking about another issue, let's, well, let's just do what James, the brother of Jesus, tells us to do. James 1, 19 through 20, he says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, in some of your Bibles, you have a heading above this. And I need to remind you, those, those headings above this are written by men. They're not inspired by God. Because many of your headings say, hearing and doing the word. But that's not what this, as if, and what they're saying is this section only applies to the Bible. And that, that's not what it's saying. Because if the word of God was the object of the command, then he would be saying, quick to listen to the Bible and then slow to speak the Bible. You ever had a preacher, anybody ever tell you you should be slow to speak the word of God? Yeah, no, of course not. It doesn't make any sense. You see, James is the closest book in the New Testament we have to, like, wisdom literature of the Old Testament, like Proverbs. It's filled with one-liners and all sorts of things, and this is one of those times because James has just been talking about the word of God, so he turns from talking about the word of God to the words of humans, and then he's going to transition and talk about the word of God in a bit. So speaking about this verse, what, what I mean is this is for all of us, this is important because I've talked about this with people and, and some are going, well, no, it's just talking about the Bible. And I'm telling you, it's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about us. It's talking about you and me, how we deal with each other. He says, write this down. Take a note. It's a way of calling our attention to this verse, saying this is for all of us. Pay attention. You, me, all of us. He says, write this down. And do you know when I know a sermon is for me? 
when the first time I hear about a sermon, I think it's for somebody else. The Holy Spirit has a way of going, yep, and that somebody else is you. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not interested in that. I'm talking about someone else. But James tells us to do three things. He says three things. He said, be quick to listen. This is where we're eager to hear other people. One commentator writes this. I love it. He says, listening is the art of closing one's mouth and opening one's ears and heart. That's not easy, is it? At least Bill's smiling. Bill gets it like me. We're in there. We're like, all right, I don't know what to say. Yeah, this is not easy. Listening is loving the neighbor as oneself. His concerns and problems are sufficiently important to be See, much credit is given to an eloquent speaker or gifted orator, but truly listening with our ears and heart is so much more difficult. And that's what we need right now, to listen. To listen to what other people are saying. You know, how do we deal with an injustice? First, by truly listening open our hearts, opening our ears, and hearing what they're saying. Do you realize there's an entire profession in this world that gets paid like $100 an hour just to listen? Because we're not good at listening. He says, listen, because it's only through listening can we do what Paul says in Galatians 6.2. He says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. As Christians, and I'm not talking to the world. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm talking to Christians. As Christians, it is our duty to help our brothers and sisters in Christ when they are saying, I have a burden. I have something going on and I need your help. We are to help them in their hardships and difficulties. And I know you're probably like me. And you say, well, listen, listen, you understand. I got a lot going on. I got a lot going on in my life. I mean, it can sound daunting and over, overwhelming to think I got to help other people. But the good thing is, is Paul doesn't give you a choice. He doesn't say, well, if you're not busy, if you don't have things to do, if the beach is crowded, you know, then you, you know, he doesn't say that. He says, this is what we do as Christians. We carry each other's burden. And here's the beauty of all this. Because we miss this, and it's so easy for us to miss in our culture because we're so individualistic. We want to do it our way on our time, and, and we got this. But that's not the church. The church, we come together to help each other. And so if I unload my burdens on you, and then the body of Christ helps me, when you unload your burdens on us, we then help you. We can do far more together than we can ever do apart. So it's not that, oh, i got to keep my burdens and only help you. No, we're going to help each each other with these things. Paul says, when you do this, you fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Yeah, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is how we love our neighbors, by bearing their burdens in their time of need. And as Christians, this is what we are called to do. And this is very important. When we're talking about justice or injustice, as Christians, we're not talking about constitutional issues. Our standard isn't the Constitution as if it was legal or not legal. Our standard is Jesus Christ, which means the conversation as Christians isn't about is it legal or illegal. It's about is this the way Christ has called us to love? Is this in my actions bringing glory to God? 
That's our standard, loving as Christ loved us. You see, right now we must show love. We must help our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a large segment of our population who are saying they need help. And they're asking churches, people of color are asking churches of all colors to stand up and help lead change. And it starts with us. Let's not let the kneeling of the flag be the issue. My goodness, it's been brought back up. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I thought we settled that four years ago. We have brought the flag back up again. I don't understand. Let's not talk about the violent protest. Let's listen to what our brothers and sisters in Christ are saying. And every white person I know, and I can say this, every white person I know, when we start talking about race and racism, they start the conversation like this. You've heard it, right? They say, well, I have black friends. You laugh because it's true. Every, every white person, well, I have black friends. And so what I'm asking is instead of talking about our black and brown friends, let's talk with them. Let's start having conversations. Let's start asking what they've experienced. And I promise you, I promise you, you're not going to offend them. And it's not a secret what's happening right now. Start having conversation. Listen, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get what you're experiencing. I don't understand what you're going through. This doesn't make any sense, so could you help me? I promise you they will. They'll talk about it. Because in order to carry a burden, we must first listen. And in order to have compassion and empathy, we must first listen. See, James isn't done. He said you must be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And I'm absolutely confident that James would have said slow to post if social media was around. I am confident of that. We live in a generation where everyone has a platform to speak, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. Some of us, some of you, you just need a diary. Write it in there first. Proverbs 29, 20 says, do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Proverbs 17, 28, even fools are thought of, thought wise if they keep silent. That really bothers me because I'm not very silent. And discerning if they hold their tongues. You deacons need to start quoting me that every, before every deacon meeting. Just quote that Proverbs to me. I'll be like, got it. I know my lane today. You see, quite often the right thing to do is say nothing. I can tell you from experience, I've never had to apologize for things I didn't say. But I've had to apologize for plenty that I have said. I've never regretted not sending an email but I've regretted more than once sending that email. Look how Jesus says this. He says, Matthew 27, 36 to 27. He said, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. And again, I'm very confident Jesus would say every empty post. I'm just letting you know. That's your words that you're putting out there. You can't get out of it because you typed it. That's you speaking. And James doesn't say we should be silent. 
He says we should use wisdom before we speak. And as our mamas taught us, I think all moms have taught us this, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? All of our moms taught us that. Often we speak but about the wrong things. He says then slow to become angry. Why? Well, luckily he explains this one out. He says because human anger doesn't produce God's righteousness. And that word righteousness also means justice. You see, God is a God of justice. God doesn't want justice. God is just. God will restore that one day. But our quick tempers will not produce the justice that God desires. Proverbs 29, 22 says, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Listen, if you've never read the book of Proverbs, there are a lot of great things in there, a lot of good one-liners for you to remember. You see, we can never seek justice by sinning against our Lord. It doesn't work that way. God's not going to bless our sin. And it doesn't matter how right you think you are, God is not going to bless sin. As Douglas Moo comments, he says, James' very simple point is that human anger does not produce behavior that is pleasing to God. And as any proverb, this is a general statement. This isn't talking about the righteous anger. But as you know, well, have you, let's see, raise of hands, have you ever been quick to get angry? Oh, just three of us? All right. We're going to talk about lying next week. We're going to take a pause from this series, talk about lying, and then we'll come back. We're going to take a lot of pauses, church. So James says, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And here's the best example I can give for this. See, when Kaepernick kneeled, I didn't listen. I was quick to talk, quick to be angered, and I wasn't worried about bringing glory to God. I was worried about the glory of the flag. And the only thing I could think of was my brothers and sisters in arms who gave up their life so he could be rich. That was my view. I'm not saying it's correct. I'm just telling you. That was my view. He struck a nerve, but here's here's what I didn't know. Kaepernick originally wanted to sit for all the protests. But a retired Green Beret, Nate Boyer, wrote an Oprah letter to him explaining what the flag meant to him and to veterans. Kaepernick read the letter, called him to sit down and hear his thoughts. Boyer explained to him what veterans and how they view the flag and what we're taught it means. And how we are taught to honor and respect the flag. And so it means something very different for veterans. Kaepernick wanted to sit. Boyer wanted him to stand. So out of the respect for the veterans and the military and our flag, he chose to kneel. So he could still silently and peacefully protest against racial oppression and police brutality. Because truthfully, kneeling isn't usually a sign of disrespect. And you know that. I know that. See, I didn't know that. I mean, I just found out recently. Like, I mean, this is news to me. I'm super late finding this out because I wasn't listening at all about the topic. I didn't know that he was actually trying to respect our military and the flag while still bringing attention to what he felt passionate about. 
I didn't know he was that big of a Christian who has tattoos that say, to God be the glory in Bible verses. Instead, I quit watching football that year, and I didn't pay attention to anything he had to say. Truthfully, a 28-year-old football player does what James asked us to do. He showed respect. He listened. He was quick to listen. He was more mature in living out the commands of Scripture. Well, I was closed and aggravated. And I'm sorry for that. I truly am. And I've asked the Lord to forgive me for my actions. And I'm not saying my feelings were wrong. I'm just saying I surely wasn't listening. I closed it quick because I thought I knew. And perhaps, perhaps you didn't listen either. You see, it shouldn't take a man dying on a video for us to listen. And as Christians, we shouldn't prop up Tim Tebow when he stands for the faith but dismiss another athlete who's trying to stand for the faith and giving application as he sees it because it's uncomfortable. It shouldn't take a man brutally dying for us to listen to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. I don't know what you experienced. N.T. Wright sums it up like this, this section. He says, all right, you want to follow God's way? Here's how. The people out there who need your help, excuse me, there are people out there who need your help. And there's a messy world out there that will try to mess your life up as well. Isn't that true? He says, make sure you focus on the first, that is listening, and avoid the second, that is getting angry. See, the first step in dealing with an injustice is listening. That's what led to the, the riots and the outlets. We weren't listening. We weren't hearing. We were making the other issues an issue that weren't even the issue. And as Christians, we should listen so we could carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Next week, we're going to talk all about the only answer you can always give. That's going to be fun. Now, that was just my introduction. We still got a lot to go if you thought I was closing it out. I warned you ahead of time. And I'm actually not joking. Okay. So here's our application with listening is our foundation. We understand that, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. We, we got that? All right, with that, now we're going to apply it, and you're going to get uncomfortable, and that's okay. I'm just giving you a heads up again. With listening as our foundation, let's move on to applying this. And I'm going to take things I've learned, conversations I've had, and I'm going to get the conversation going for all of us. The first section of application we're going to look at is called Things aren't black and white when it comes to matters of black and white. Too early? I don't know. I thought it was, I liked it. No, you don't? Well, you'll see. Okay. So what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about sticking points or things that when we do try to have conversations about this, some issues that come up from different sides. This is where conversations usually go sideways. And I want to share with you what I've learned. And again... You don't have to agree with me. I'm okay with that. But hopefully, hopefully we can start talking about it. So please, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because I'm your pastor and I love you. I love this church. 
We're just going to lead our community and start talking about these things. So, first up for things aren't black and white when it comes to matters of black and white. Y'all don't like that as much as me. I, don't, I, I, think, I thought it was good. Jessica tried to fix it. I said, I get paid to speak, Jessica. I know what I'm doing. I should have changed it. You were right, Jessica. Okay, you were right. Anyways, number one, pointing to the past doesn't help the current situation. When somebody is telling you how they feel and what they've experienced, pointing to a fact in the past doesn't help what they're currently going through. For instance, if your wife said or your husband said, I don't feel loved, and you said, I married you, didn't I? Would that help the situation? Correct. It would not help what they're currently experiencing. So when a person of color, whether black or brown, shares a painful experiences that they're going through now, pointing to the past doesn't help. Yes, White people were the ones that did fight to end slavery. We know that. Yes, white people were involved in desegregation and these laws. Yes, we know that. But pointing to back then has nothing to do with the right now. Because everyone acknowledges white people helped in the past. That's not new information. Perhaps you, perhaps your parents. Perhaps they were involved. And if you need, and I mean this with all respect, if you need to pat yourself on the back for back then, go for it. But we still have issues today we're dealing with. The conversation has to keep going on. Integration was only like 50, 55 years ago. And the conversation about equality for people of color was never meant to be over. And my generation, we're going to pick it back up. We're going to continue the conversation that many of you started. And we want to continue to have it because we want to make this country great for all people. We don't, make it, we don't want to make it great again like there was something in the past that everybody experienced. We want to make it great for all people going forward. And we must continue to work. Continue to work for that. And as a Christian, listen, I don't believe things will ever be perfect on this earth. But we can try. Sounds like a great goal, doesn't it? Why not go for it? And I believe the church must be the voice. I believe there are a lot of issues in our society that are simply political and constitutional issues. And I will always stay away from those. But what's going on right now isn't a political issue No group is standing up for something that's considered a sin in the Bible. I will never ask you to take a stand for something that the Bible tells us is a sin. I will never ask you to do that. But what's going on right now has nothing to do with the Declaration of Independence. It has everything to do with the very beginning of the Bible that says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And our generation, I'm calling our generation to be the bridge, to stand up, to continue the conversation, to help all sides come together because I believe the gospel demands it. As Jesus was the bridge for our relationship with God and Jesus came to share in our experience, read the book of Hebrews, that he could understand our suffering, perhaps we can share and we can experience and we can have conversations so we can bridge this gap that's going on right now.
We must come together. That's what love requires of us, to do this. So first, pointing to the past doesn't help the current situation. Number two, not, they're not in rank of importance. They're just here. Number two, shame doesn't work. Understand that? Shame doesn't work. Right now, there's a ton of shaming going on. And it doesn't work, and it never will. For instance, it goes something like this. If you aren't saying anything, you're being complicit. That's not true. Perhaps I'm listening to the Bible that tells me to be slow to speak. Not everyone is called to everything. I promise we will talk about that in three weeks, so be here for that one. But I promise you that guilt doesn't lead to change. It never has and it never will. You say, Brian, how do you know that? Because as a pastor, my profession has a long history of trying to use shame and guilt as a motivator. Y'all been in church for a while, hasn't it? It doesn't work. It never has and it never will. Guilting people doesn't help. What can help, what will help, is you casting vision about what could be and what should be. You telling us why it matters what you're talking about. Inspire people to action. Don't shame them or guilt them. It doesn't work. If you need an example, the best one I can give you is Dr. King's speech. What's the name of it? I have, oh, sorry, y'all knew. Okay, good. Yeah, I have a dream. Call to action. That helps. That one was short. Shame doesn't work. Number three, if you're keeping count, black lives matter. Let's talk about that Logan and slogan. They're, they're going to keep progressively touching on things. I'm just letting you know. This is a motto or slogan or tagline for a movement. And for white people, this does not mean only black lives matter. Okay? Nobody's saying that at all. This is a specific movement, movement dealing with a specific issue. And yes, so I've had a lot of conversations. That's, I'm, I'm trying to help us all understand what's going on. And yes, all lives matter. And yes, they get offended when you say that. When you are saying all lives matter as opposed to black lives matter, we are watering down an issue they are bringing uh, to attention. And if you want to start a movement for all life matters, call it something different and don't use this platform. Because we're in America, you can start whatever movement you want. Like, you're allowed to do that. But when we do this, when we say that blue lives matter as opposed to black lives matter, or all lives matter as opposed to black lives matter, what they hear is that we are ignoring, once again, what people of color are saying, and we're making an issue about us that isn't about us. Just like I did with Kaepernick, made an issue about me that wasn't about me. And I don't think anybody would argue that police officers' lives matter. Nobody's going to argue that all lives matter. That's not the point. The point is their movement is about a specific thing for a specific, um, a specific injustice. For instance, if I was starting a movement that was called Babies Lives Matter. Pretty, pretty good tagline, right? Yeah, okay. So Baby Lives Matter. And then someone said, no, Baby Panda Lives Matter. And they started to argue with me that, no, it's not just babies' lives matter, but baby li panda lives matter. I'd be like, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I wasn't talking about baby pandas. I'm talking about something completely different. Why are you bringing pandas into what I'm talking about? Use your, search your own thing. 
wouldn't you be a little upset? Like now you're talking about panda bears? We weren't talking about panda bears. No one's talking about panda bears. Why are you talking about panda bears? That's how they feel, that we're talking about something they're not talking about. We're once again dismissing and watering down their feelings. So let's not dismiss what they're saying and understand. Next up, white privilege. Y'all ever heard that term? Good, let me explain it to you. Using the term white privilege isn't helpful for any of these conversations. It's an academic term that is, isn't being used academically. Please know, using that term will not help regular people understand what you're talking about. Because not all white people believe they've had privilege in this life. And if you believe having an uh, academic conversation with just your normal, regular day people, I can promise you once again, as a pastor, it won't work. How do I know this? Well, because when we go to seminary, we learn all this cool stuff that we talk about with other seminary people. And then we come to the church and we think that everybody's excited about these great theories. They're not. They just look at you like, man, we hired this guy. I can't believe. You might be thinking that now, but that's okay. But she's like, I don't even know. What is he talking about? Yeah. Let academia be academia. Using stuff like that because it's used inappropriately now most of the time isn't helpful for regular people. Because white people feel it's used to say that all white people have had it easy. Doesn't mean that's what you're saying. Let's just listen right now. I have a friend who is 37 years old. He grew up in Arkansas, backwoods of Arkansas. He didn't have running water in his house and had to use an outhouse growing up. He's my age. He doesn't feel privileged at all. I lived in the Appalachian Mountains. And I can assure you out there, nobody feels privileged. The town I lived in was 95% white, and the cycle of poverty and drugs is running rampant. Don't believe me? Google it. It's bad out there. So I'm letting you know that when, we, when it said white privilege, it sounds like you're dismissing their personal struggles in life. And to think all white people had it easy is to be rather racist. Not all white people's experience are the same. Now, does that mean that people of color haven't had harder experiences? We're not here with scales doing that. That's not what's going on right now. But listening to each other is the only way we can go forward. Because what you might find is somebody who doesn't look like you may have had similar experiences. Maybe not in everything, but perhaps some things. And finding common ground is a great place to start. Next up, let's acknowledge we're not colorblind. Okay, so this might take a little bit of backdrop. I had a good conversation with one of my friends about this, pretty long one. Now, this comes from when white people say, I don't see color. Okay? And it seems to be a stumbling block in conversation, so I just asked you to quit saying it. I think it would be helpful to what's going on right now. Because it doesn't make sense to people of color because they know you can see color. And it sounds what you're doing because, excuse me, because our color, a lot of people's color represent their culture. And when you say you don't see color, what you're saying is you don't see them. And once again, now you don't hear them and now you don't see them. No wonder people are getting mad. Yeah. So don't say that. Don't say it sounds, yeah, let's, let's acknowledge we're not colorblind and acknowledge that we do see color. 
And in case it doesn't, this sermon doesn't reach the masses, because I'm sure it won't, here's what white people are actually saying. I'm translating for you, okay? Here's what they're actually saying. What they mean is they're not racist or they don't care about color. Here's the thought, okay? Put a lot of thought into this. Here's what's going on. If I raise my kids as a white guy, not to worry, raise my kids not to worry about the skin of other people. If I don't raise them to be racist and I don't talk racist, then they're not going to be racist. And we're just going to get along, skipping along our merry, happy way. It comes from a really good place. That's what white people are saying. They are really trying to say, hey, I'm not going to stand for that. However, there's a big flaw in this. While the idea is grand and everybody wants to applaud it, the reality is we don't live in a neutral world. We live in a world that is racist. And racism is alive and well. So when we're saying we're not going to raise our kids to be racist, that's great. But we don't want them to ignore the fact that it actually exists and perhaps can do something about it. And that's what this movement is trying to do, is shed light that, hey, these conversations aren't over, that they still need to be had, that it's still here. And perhaps you're not racist and you're not going to raise your kids up racist, and that's great. Let's acknowledge that we do see people for who they are because everybody wants to be seen. We don't have to pretend someone isn't a different color. We can just talk to them about it. And you're not going to offend anybody by acknowledging their culture or their color. They already know. It's not a secret. And in fact, when you acknowledge their color and their culture, it's when you see them how God created them. Because the common human experience, and I promise you this is true, the common human experience is that we all want to be accepted and loved for who we are. Every single person wants this. That desire points us to the gospel. We'll talk about that next week. But every human wants to be loved. Every human wants to fit in. Every human wants to believe that God did mean to create them that way and there are people who love them and care for them. So acknowledging a person, if they're black or if they're brown, it's, they're not going to hurt their feelings. They already know. It's not a secret. We all want this. Listen, we were all born with different colors and different sizes and different heights. I got a height issue. Y'all know that already, right? Like, I wish I was 6'3". I'm just telling you, it bothers me. But all of us struggle with doubts, and we all worry about how we look and how we weigh. and what our, I mean, all of us go through this. So let's just acknowledge that everybody struggles with being loved and being accepted. And when we understand that someone has a different culture and a different culture, that's who they are. That's who God created them. So we can accept that and talk about it and embrace it and embrace the differences. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of it all. I don't know what number I'm on. We'll say two, okay? We'll say number two. It's going to feel like two because I'm not, not done yet, Okay. Our backgrounds are different. My next point, and things aren't black and white. When it comes to matters of black and white, our backgrounds are different. Listen, I was lucky enough to be raised uh, by a woman who didn't stand for racism. Growing up, my mom had friends of color. I was used to it. She didn't tolerate it. She didn't listen to people talk bad. And, and she taught me not to judge people by the color of their skin. She didn't teach me to just ignore it. She taught me not to judge them. There is a big difference there. She taught me not to judge them, and she's always had friends of color, always had friends of color. 
And this is important. You'll see why in a minute. But see, I didn't grow up with, I grew up without my dad, and that, that whole side of the family's gone. And with my mom, we really didn't hang out with our uncles and our family members. We didn't have, like, family cookouts and stuff. It was really just my mom. My, my influence in my life was my mama. Thank you, mom, if you're watching that. I feel like I had to there, okay? But my greatest influ was, was my mom. But not all white people have been so lucky. Many grew up with racist grandparents, racist parents, racist uncles that they would see at the cookouts. Many white people don't start with this black slate or parents who help them see the world differently. Many had uncles and cousins who were racist, and many white people just aren't really sure. They don't know any different. This is what they grew up with. And what you may consider racist, they don't consider racist because they can always point to Uncle Billy, who is far worse. And so they're like, well, I'm not, if that's racist, I'm not that. I don't, I don't know what it is. And so it brings me to my next one is, for white people, racism is complicated. Bear with me here, but it's complicated. Maybe not for everyone. I'm just letting you know. But I've been thinking about this and praying about this topic, and this is what came to my mind. One of my best friend's dad. Growing up, uh, to most people, he would definitely fit, you know, the definition of racist. He would use the N-word. He would use all the words you can possibly imagine. He would say things about all sorts of different skin tones. But when it came to his son's friends, he didn't care what color they were. When his son, youngest son, brought home a black woman, he didn't care. When he married her, he didn't care. And when the children came, who, of course, were mixed and much darker than him, he loved them as any grandpa would. You see, he was just mean. This is important. He was just mean. I was the same color, and he, and he didn't have that, so he called me fat boy. <laughs> I'm nine years old. You can laugh at my pain. Like, I appreciate it. Laugh at my pain. But you see, many of us have just grown up with mean people who say mean things. And so it gets complicated. Because yes, you would say out of his words that he was racist, but yet his actions towards his family wasn't at all. It's complicated and it's weird and we don't say we understand it all. I'm just letting you know for many people it's complicated. For me, I've met plenty of racist people. I mean, flat out racist people. But it's not like they were nice and kind to everybody else. It's not like the white people I know that are racist, it's not like they would bake apple pies for all the white people and then just talk bad against black. They were just mean people. They just didn't like anybody. And I'd venture to say that most race people are just mean. And so it's like, yeah, they're racist, but they don't like anybody else either. So I don't, I don't know what to do about that. And so it's kind of hard for us to gather around because we all know people and we all have our experiences. We're kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't really know how, how this works. Like, I'm just going by what I've experienced. And so it can be complicated. It doesn't mean it's right. I'm just saying it's complicated. And so that's plenty to start the conversation with, yes? Yeah, even if you don't agree with me, talk to someone about it. So now, with listening as our foundation... Going to one more part, okay? Let's move on to some communication tips. So as we're having conversations with people, here are some conversation tips for us all. Number one, I'm going to try to remember these. Number one, when communicating, keep the issue 
the issue. Okay, when you're a debate or a heated discussion with somebody, even among friends, it's hard if you start mudding the waters with all this other stuff. Keep the issue you're talking about, the central issue. People muddy, especially social media and the news, not all news, but some news, they start talking about other issues, and the next thing you know, you're trying to tell me what you're experiencing in the issue, but all I see is mud. Because there's so many other things people are talking about, and if you're standing up for injustice, it's your responsibility to help me see. If you're taking the stand and you're speaking, then you help me see what I need to see. But let's keep the issue the issue. And right now the issue is racial oppression and police brutality. Let's not worry about the riots. Let's not talk about the flag again. Those aren't the issue that is trying to be brought to light. The other two issues, they're very simple. So let me just speak to those so we can end the conversation. First, the riots aren't helpful. The, the, un, you know, the ones that are burning stuff down, they're unhelpful. Our, all of our moms taught us that two wrongs don't right or right. God's not going to bless sin. We know that. So let's not talk about that. We don't have to focus on the people who are going to the extreme. That's unhelpful. Talk about the people who aren't, who are, who are talking about an issue. And about the flag, because of the flag, here's the truth. Because of the flag, people can do what they want when the anthem is played. You don't have to like it, but that's what's so beautiful about what our flag stands for. They have the freedom to stand, to sit, or do a handstand. That's the point. We have freedom. If we start fussing about people's freedom, then we start talking about we don't like free. It doesn't, it goes bad real quick. You don't have to like it, but we can acknowledge that's their right because of it. So we can put those to bed. But keep the issue the issue. Number two, acknowledging someone else's problem isn't saying you don't have your own problems. This, is, this gets interesting. Acknowledging someone else's problem isn't saying that you don't have your own problems. I can tell you it doesn't work. Now, when I come home from work and my wife says, I've had a really hard day with the kids. What doesn't work is saying, suck it up, my day was harder. I promise she doesn't work because I've done it, but I've grown a lot in two weeks, okay? Just kidding. I haven't done that recently. Y'all didn't pick that up. But when we hear about someone else's injustices or start talking about their feelings and what they are experienced, we don't have to start talking about how we've had it harder. You can both experience things differently. Like, it's okay. And we don't have to say, well, you don't hear me complaining about it. Yes, we do. Actually, that's exactly what you're doing when you bring it up. You are complaining about it. And secondly, we don't have to make things that aren't about us about us. Someone's, tell, someone's telling me about their experience with priest brutality or racial profound stuff that I can't experience. I don't have to think about how my life was hard. What they're experiencing has nothing to do with what I experienced. And I don't need to be in a competition with them. Why would I have a competition with them? Like whose life was it? Am I winning a prize for it? We all want to make things about us. We're selfish. At least I am. I don't know about you. When someone else talks about their problem, I want to talk about my problems. But how about you just pause and listen to them? Let them talk. The point isn't to compare. The point is, the point is to show Christ's love and to help. And just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it's not true. So just listen. And when they're done talking, then you talk to them about what you've gone through. Also understand 
This is a white person talking. Now, our experience isn't your experience, so forgive us when we try to relate. It seems to be a sticking point. See, one way all human beings try to empathize. I need water. I've been talking for too long. That means I've been talking for too long. The way we try to show empathy is by relating to other people's experience. And so if I were to walk in this door looking real frustrated, y'all would look at me and think, what's going on? If I said, I just went to the DMV, you'd all go, okay. Understand. And within two seconds, you, my, my frustration would make sense to you. You would then think about last time you went to the DMV. And then after I explained what happened to me, you would then explain what happened to you. And we'd both wonder how the DMV exists. Right? We'd both be like, I don't understand. It's the worst run thing we've ever seen before in this world. Like, we all agree on that. And so, a lot of white people do care about what people of color are experiencing. And when we hear your stories, we may try to relate, and we may not do it well. Because the truth is, we can't. If what you're experiencing, we can't experience. But one of the ways I'm going to try to relate is by sharing experience. And it may sound as if I don't care or I'm belittling it because I compared it to something that seems trivial to you. But all they're doing is trying to have a conversation. They actually mean well. They're not being insensitive. They're trying. And so when you're explaining about your situation with perhaps police stuff, and they're like, yeah, I got pulled over once too, and you're like, no, that's not what, that's not what I'm talking about. Just extend grace. Extend grace. Because many times it's best for us to just listen, so maybe we don't have to compare or, or relate that way. Next, let's stop looking for reasons to be offended and start listening. Let's stop looking for reasons to be offended and start listening. We live in a politically correct world and nobody has a clue on what to say anymore. No matter what you say today, someone is offended. How about we get over it? How about we toughen up, grow some thick skin, and let's understand in order to have a conversation, we're going to have to speak and be heard. You got to have both. Because we're all going to get offended. It happens. But if it comes from the right place, let's overlook it and understand. They just don't understand. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. Sometimes you just got to overlook it. I'm just being honest. When I was doing this sermon and I was writing it out, I was wondering, can I say black? Can I say brown? Do I call Caucasians that African American? What if they're not from ancestors are from Africa? Am I being offensive? And I just got all caught up. Like, what am I even supposed to say? And I was like, well, I'm just going to talk. Because, like, we got to just start talking. Because today, no matter what you say, someone has a problem with it. A white pastor spoke out instantly about George, about what happened. But he used him or her pronouns and he got attacked because he didn't use gender neutral stuff and he's like oh my goodness I can't even make a statement about color without another side being offended I wasn't even talking and it just gets crazy out there so when we're having our interpersonal conversations with people let's just not look for how I can be offended let's just look for how we can continue the conversation and start listening and then lastly before I get to my conclusion for goodness sakes, this is probably one of the most important ones. Stop thinking politicians are speaking for anyone. Please stop thinking they're talking for anyone. 
If you haven't figured out, I have a long time ago, politicians will not solve our problems. The only politician we should listen to is the one who came and announced the kingdom of God is breaking in and said he is the Christ, the Messiah, the king of all. Just so we're clear, Jesus wasn't a Democrat, he wasn't a Republican, and neither one of those groups are speaking for Christians. I need to be very clear. God has already spoke to us. This is what speaks for us. This is God's word. This is Jesus speaking to us. As Christians and as Jesus as our leader, please stop thinking politicians are speaking for everyone, no matter what side they're on. Just ignore them and talk to your friends. Now, when closing, I have to tell you I love Conway. I love being here. And I can tell you it's, I've been pastor and I've never experienced what I experienced here recently. Last Saturday night, I got a text from the chief police, me along with 14 other pastors, asking us to pray. He said to mobilize our prayer groups to help this community walk through a difficult and sad time. And he said, and I quote, this was a text, he wasn't looking to be quoted. He says, change must and will occur, and I'm asking you to pray our community, love one another, and peace will prevail. On Sunday evening, he texted us back, uh, the ones he had numbers for, the only people we could talk to, of course, and he asked for us to come in Monday and shoot a very short, short message. He said one or two lines, and I was like, does that mean 10 minutes? He said, no, that means one or two lines. I was like, okay, I'll just read the Bible then. And he said to come on Monday and shoot a very short message to the community. And I quote this. Here's what he said. He said, I pray for meaningful change and have been a proponent of our criminal justice academy being allowed and agencies compelled to give notice for officers that are bad actors instead of quietly passing them around. So because he asked, I came and so did several other videos, and many of you saw the video. And, and I have to be honest, many people, they gave the mayor the credit for that, and that had nothing to do with her. She wasn't there when we met on Monday morning. We didn't talk to her. I've never met her or talked to her, but the police chief was. And I think that's very important to know. I mean, so important to know because he thanked us and said, y'all are the leaders in the community and we need the church now. He said, and I'm paraphrasing this one, he said, we want to lead other communities and show them how to properly handle things. And he called on the church to step up. We don't need more politicians talking. We need more police chiefs standing up for injustices and calling upon our almighty God and asking the church to take a stand. I've never experienced a police chief calling, saying, hey, church, we need your help. That should be known. That is a big deal because some are doing the right thing, calling upon the right person. That, of course, is Jesus Christ. And I tell you that because there are officers and there are police chiefs and there are people who know things must change, who are having difficult conversations and calling upon God and the church to help. So I say we do it. I say we help. First, by listening. Next week, we're going to deal with part two on how to deal with an injustice. And we're going to talk about the only answer you can always give. This last song that Scott uh, picked out I just think is so important, and I, and I do ask you to sing with us. The, the chorus goes like this. It says, I've seen you move. You move the mountains, and I believe you will do it again.
We've seen God move the mountain of slavery in our country. We've seen God move the mountains of segregation. Well, we believe he can do it again. We believe he can continue doing it. We're going to need God to lead this thing for us as we listen. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to the name of Jesus, and we just thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Father, I pray that our church, well, we just listen. I pray that we engage in meaningful conversations with our friends that are different colors and may not look like us, sound like us, or maybe our neighbors, whoever they are. I pray we each start having conversation. And we listen. We ask questions. We try to understand what they're experiencing so we as Christians can help carry their burdens. So we can love our neighbors as you've commanded us. Father, I thank you for this city and I thank you for a place where the police chief does stand for Christ. That is calling upon the churches to help and to pray and to lead this community in unity. And I pray and I'm so thankful for First Baptist Church who's always done that. And I thank you, Lord, that we will continue to be a voice in this community. God, we believe you're going to move mountains again. So we call upon you for that today.